Amen. I pray that all of you guys can see the love in God's eyes, the love that God demonstrated in sending his son down for us, laying his son down for each and every one of us. So this morning, uh, Jamie and I, we have a couple of extra visitors with us uh, this morning um, as both Jamie and my family came to visit um, as we are celebrating Ezra's first birthday as it's uh, this upcoming Thursday. Um, Ezra's got a... He's got two cousins here, uh, Oliver and Tilly, um, who are three months older than him. Some of you guys saw Oliver running around because he's a pretty advanced kid. And some of you guys thought, wow, Ezra's really grown up in the last week. Shocker. No, he has not really. That's just his cousin. Uh, but uh, it's been a crazy first year uh, for our little guy. Um, started off with uh, 19 days in the hospital with the difficulty to breathe. Um, and then after we got home from the hospital, it was around the holiday season. And so there were lots of traveling between Michigan, my family, South Carolina, Jamie's family, and back to Ohio. And so there was lots of road trips for Ezra uh, as he was a real little guy. Um, and then life was pretty normal, you know, for a couple weeks in January, February, and the first half of March. Uh, of March. Um, uh, but then after that, he didn't leave his apartment for about two and a half to three months. And so that must have been uh, pretty uh, crazy. And then shortly after that, um, all of a sudden, uh, another little baby came and infiltrated our house um, as Jamie started to babysit for another baby. And so all of a sudden, someone was stealing Ezra's mother away from him. Uh, sometimes he uh, was able to tolerate it better than other times. Um, and then after that, shortly after that, we left our apartment, which was his first home, um, and he didn't even know to say bye. We just left. He, we didn't even really tell him. He didn't know we were leaving, so he moved to a new house. Um, and now he's got nine crazy yahoos uh, who have invaded his house um, as our family has come to visit. Uh, so it's been, to say the very least, it's been a very crazy year for Ezra as we're celebrating his first year of life outside of the womb. Um, but it hasn't just been a crazy year for Ezra. It's been a crazy, crazy year for every single one of us. If it hasn't been a crazy year for you, uh, you I don't know what's going on with you, but it's been crazy for just about everybody that I know of. Um, no longer are people going to brag about living through the blizzard of 1978. Uh, now we're going to brag about living through the pandemic of 2020 and all these other issues. As in March, uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19, kind of took over our nation, uh, the United States, um, and we were in a global pandemic. It wasn't just a national epidemic, but it was a global pandemic, and we had to quarantine. We uh, couldn't see our friends and family as much, our church family. Um, um, that led straight into mass rioting and looting as people were probably losing their minds, being isolated um, for so long. Um, and uh, the craziness is not going to go away anytime uh, soon either. Um, as this Tuesday, I'm sure, will be a bizarre uh, day. As what's on Tuesday? The election day, that is right, and it has been an absolutely crazy election cycle, and I think that it could get pretty ugly, unfortunately, um, because of all the mailing in ballots, it could take them a while for them to decide who the winner is, so that waiting process could get pretty ugly, it could potentially get pretty ugly if Trump wins, and it could get pretty ugly if Biden wins. Basically, I see it getting pretty ugly um, in the near future and the craziness not coming to an end anytime soon. 
But through it all, through the pandemic, through the quarantine, through the rioting and looting and this bizarre election cycle, there has been so much division. If, if I could give one word to sum up the year 2020 outside of maybe crazy, I'd probably go with the word division because there has been so much division. Back in March, there was division over how serious the pandemic is. I mean, still today, there, there's a lot of division over how serious this pandemic is. Some people take it very seriously. Some people don't think it, it, it's a huge deal. And, and there's division. There's division over these opposing opinions and opposing ideas. There's division over whether or not we, we should have quarantined or in division over some of these mask policies and these other policies taking place. There's division on the stance of the protesting and the rioting and the looting around uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. And there's certainly been division over this election cycle, division between Biden and his um, presidential campaign and Trump and his presidential campaign. And so nothing divides like politics. And I see that it all revolves around politics. You know, some, some people more uh, conservative about one issue. Some people are more liberal about one issue. And man, it has caused a lot of division in the year of 2020. I mean, it's, it's incredible that, that we are all here today. You guys are doing awesome because it's been a crazy, bizarre year full of division that has revolved around politics because nothing divides quite like politics. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about the church and the lovely word of politics. And now a disclaimer before we talk about church and politics, I want you all to know that I am a pastor and I am a preacher. And thank the Lord I am not a politician. Thank the Lord he called me into the ministry and not, and not into, into government. Um, I thank you, God, for that. Um, it's pretty easy for me to talk about religion uh, within uh, the church, uh, but it's not so easy uh, to talk about politics uh, within a church. As we mentioned before, politics is very dividing. We, we, there, there's people in here, people in Clark County, people wherever you go, there's going to be people of opposing ideas on uh, the whole issue of politics. And it divides. And I'm going to tell you right now uh, that this three-week series, it might make you uncomfortable. In fact, if it doesn't make you a bit uncomfortable, you're probably crazy. Um, it's, it's, it's going to make me a bit uncomfortable as well. Uh, but I'm constantly uh, reminded of Jeremiah. The more I study the book of Jeremiah, the more I become a fan of the book and the man, Jeremiah. As God had a very, uh, you know, it wasn't a fun message that Jeremiah had to preach. He had to preach a message of judgment and repentance. And Jeremiah, he, he didn't really want to preach this message, but he did it anyways. And the people that Jeremiah was preaching to, they didn't want to hear the message. That was evident as they threw him in prison. They, they, they tried to kill him. So it wasn't a message that Jeremiah wanted to preach, and it certainly was not a message that the people wanted to hear, but it was a message that God wanted delivered. And so I feel led uh, this morning, uh, whether I like it or not, or whether you guys like it or not, I, I feel led um, to talk about politics in, in these next uh, three weeks, um, as it has become such a big, big cultural issue, issue an issue uh, that has caused uh, a lot of division both in and out of the church. And to be quite frank, we, we can't really ignore it any longer. I would be doing you all a disservice if we ignored this issue any longer. 
So with that said, we're going to spend the next three weeks uh, talking about the church and politics and we, uh, and how we as Christ followers, how we should respond and, and react with this issue of politics. And so this morning, our focus in talking about church and politics, our focus will be on the word of unity. Unity, that, that, that will be our focus this morning as we talk about church and politics unity. Our unity is extremely, extremely important and it always has been. It was very important to our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ as well. And we can see this in the book of John, in John chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to uh, the book of John, the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we'll be reading um, from chapter 17 this morning. Before we uh, read in John chapter 17, though, I want to give you guys a little background, a little context. Uh, John chapter 17, uh, it takes place uh, the very night before Jesus was crucified. You know, we all know the story of the crucifixion. And this story here, th this, that we're going to be reading a prayer from Jesus. This prayer takes place just the night before Jesus was crucified. And it was the same exact night that Jesus later went on to the Garden of Gethsemane and he was arrested and he was betrayed by one of his own 12 disciples, Judas. Um, and so John chapter 17 takes place the night before uh, the crucifixion, but it's not the only chapter here in the book of John that takes place the night before. Actually, about a quarter of the book of John takes place the night before the crucifixion. I, I, I kind of found uh, that surprising as, as I was uh, looking through the book of John. About a quarter of it, was not, we're not even talking about the crucifixion itself, about a quarter of it was the night before the crucifixion. And so in John chapter 13, a story that many of you guys are probably well familiar with, Jesus washed his disciples' feet at the Last Supper as they were celebrating uh, the Passover meal, the, the most important celebration uh, that the Jews had. And so Jesus and his 12 disciples, they, they were celebrating the Passover, and Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And he said, I have given you an example. Go and do likewise. And Jesus then in chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, he proceeded to teach them. He, he, he saw this as a beautiful teaching moment with his disciples uh, in chapters 14, 15, and 16. Judas has left at this point, the man who betrayed Jesus. So now it's just Jesus and his 11 disciples, arguably uh, the, the 11 people who were closest to him, uh, maybe excluding some of his family members. But here Jesus with his closest, the closest people in his life, he is teaching them in chapters 14, 15, and 16. And I find it pretty cool that we have access to the teachings that Jesus provided just the night before he was crucified. And there's a lot of awesome material in this, through chapter 13 through 16. But then after uh, the conclusion of this teaching moment that Jesus has with his disciples, he closes it in prayer, which is uh, pretty similar to how we run things 2,000 years later. You know, we, we may get together and, and study God's word for an hour, but then at the conclusion of an hour, it's often customary for us to end in prayer. And this is exactly what's taking place here in John chapter 17 after Jesus has been teaching and teaching to his disciples. He's now going to offer up a prayer to God with his disciples around 
And so this is known as the high priestly prayer. It's the most well-known prayer um, in uh, the Bible. It's a prayer that, that we've talked about before in the past as well. And this prayer can be broken down into three different sections. Um, verses 1 through 5, Jesus is praying for himself. Jesus is praying for himself, for God to glorify him, uh, to ultimately glorify uh, God. In verses 6 through 19, Jesus is praying for his disciples, his 11 disciples that were there with him in the room. He's praying for them in verses 6 through 19, the, the, the big chunk there in the middle. And then in verses 20 through 26, Jesus prays for those who will believe in the future. And so it's the longest prayer recorded in the Gospels and, and as well probably the most well-known prayer recorded really throughout uh, the, the, the whole Bible here that we have. So we're going to skip down here a bit. We're going to skip down uh, to verse 9 of chapter 17. And here in the midst, Jesus is praying for his disciples. As he says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So he makes it very specific here. He's not praying for the whole world here. He's praying specifically for his 11 disciples who are with him now. It says, all mine are yours in verse 10. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So here, Jesus, as he's praying specifically for his uh, disciples, um, uh, he, he, he mentions uh, earlier um, that Jesus is glorified through his disciples. Uh, I find that so cool. That's not really a thought that goes through my mind often, that I can glorify Jesus with my actions, just like the disciples here. And so Jesus says, the disciples who are glorifying him, um, and then he talks about how he's going to come to the Father as the, the very next day, Jesus, he's going to die for the sin of the world, and uh, on the, the resurrection Sunday, he was resurrected, spent 40 days on the earth, and then he was going to his father. He was ascending to heaven. He didn't ascend right away when he died, but he ascended after those 40 days. And so he ascended to heaven. He says he's going to the father, and he concludes this little trunk by saying that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus here praying that the night before he was crucified, out of all the things that, that he could be praying for the night before he would pay uh, for the sins of the world, he prays that his disciples would be one. He prays that his disciples would be one just like Jesus and his heavenly father are one. As Jesus and God, they, they have a very close-knit relationship, so close that a lot of people have a lot of confusion between the relationship uh, between God and Jesus. But they have a close-knit relationship. They have the same goals. They have the same objectives at hand. And I find it very similar to how uh, a husband and a wife function. They, they have a similar goal, similar objective. And in fact, in, in, uh, in Genesis, they describe a husband and a wife being coming together as one as one flesh. And so here God and Jesus, they work very closely with one another and, and they work as one. And just like that, Jesus is praying for his disciples to be one. As he says that they may be one even as we are one. So in the same sense that God and Jesus are one, in that same exact sense, 
Jesus prays to his heavenly father, Father, please let them be one. Father, I'm getting ready to pay the sins of the world. I'm getting ready to ascend to you in the heaven. And when I'm gone, Father, please ensure that they are one. Because this this is a new movement. If these 11 disciples, that they would have had division, then this movement of Christianity likely would not have had the hot start like it did. And so Jesus saw the importance of his disciples maintaining unity. He, He saw the importance of praying that they may be one. As he didn't have all the time in the world here on earth with his disciples any longer, he prayed for unity amongst his disciples. But it doesn't stop there because, again, in verses 6 through 19, he is praying specifically for his disciples. He's not praying for anybody else. He's not praying for the rest of this Christian movement. He's not praying for people today here in verses 6 through 19. He's not praying for us to be one, but it doesn't stop there, thank goodness. If we continue through this prayer, if we jump down to verse 20, verse 20 of chapter 17, Jesus prays to God. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe and me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So that, that, that was a bit repetitive and can be a, a bit confusing there. But, it, but in verse 20, he opens up by saying, I do not ask for these only. So Jesus says, I'm not praying only for these disciples. So this is where, uh, he, but he says, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So now he's opening up his prayer outside of just his disciples. I'm not asking for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You know, their word is often recorded throughout the scriptures, and we have access to a lot of their word through the Bible. And so now here, Jesus is saying that he's praying for everyone who will believe in Jesus through the Bible. Now, raise your hand if you are someone who believes in Jesus because of the Bible. Raise your hand. Yes, that should be all of us. Here, Jesus is praying for you. He is praying for us. That that is so cool. Recorded in the scriptures, we we see the words of Jesus praying for us today. Praying for those who will believe in me through their word. So this all, this this applies specifically to each and every one of us. These next words that Jesus prays to his heavenly father. And he prays that they may all be one just as you, father, are in me. Now, notice Jesus does not say, I pray, Father, that everyone who agrees politically may be one. No. Jesus Jesus says that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me. So no matter your skin color, no matter your economic status, no matter your weight, no matter where you're from, or no matter your political stance, Jesus is praying for you to be one with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the fact of the matter is I don't care if you support Trump and I don't care if you support Biden. If you are a follower of Christ, then we must be one. There are no other options. 
Whether you support Trump or whether you support Biden, we are all to be one. It is a non-negotiable. As Jesus prays for us to all be one, just as his heavenly Father and Jesus himself are one. And so we are to have a like-minded objective and goal in our life. And as we read through this in in verses 21 through 23, it got really confusing because Jesus was basically saying the same thing over and over and over again. Because he was really emphasizing this point. Jesus really wanted for these group of people who believe in him through their word, a.k.a. us, a.k.a. the church today. He really wants us to be one. And not only does he want us to be one. But he prays in in verse 23, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. That they may become perfectly one. Man, what what a glorious image that would be today if the church worldwide were perfectly one. The church would have so much power. The church would have so much influence. The voice of the church would be deafening. Because we could all come perfectly as one with the same objectives and with the same goals in mind. Just like the Father and the Son are one. And so Jesus, he, he, he expresses this over and over, this idea. He emphasizes this idea of being one over and over. But what's at stake? What's at stake for us in being one and being unified? We see that in verse 23. Jesus reads, so that, so Jesus prays for all of us to be one, so that the worlds may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. That's what is at stake right here in us coming as one. That the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So if we come together, if the church comes together, if followers of Jesus come together, then the world will know that God sent Jesus. That Jesus is the Son of God. And if we come together as one, then the world will know that God loves them just as he has loved Jesus. If we are perfectly one, then the world will know these things. The world will know that Jesus is the Messiah. They'll know that he died on the cross for their sins. And why? Why would God send Jesus to die on the cross for their sins? It's because God loves them just as he loved Jesus. This is what is at stake. This is no small, de- small deal here, coming together as one. The knowledge of Jesus, the knowledge of our Heavenly Father, they are at stake. They are in our hands today, 2,000 years later. And it hinges on the fact of whether we are going to come together as one or whether we, the church today, will divide, and if that's the case, the people will not know that Jesus came from God and that God loves each and every one of us just as he has loved Jesus. The stakes could not be any higher than this. 
as this is the gospel message. The gospel message is at stake here. And so don't you dare, don't, don't you dare put your political party and their mission above the mission of God in spreading the gospel message to the ends of the earth. Don't you dare. And right now, a lot of people are letting their political views get in the way of the gospel message being spread to the ends of the earth. And both Republican and Democrats are to blame. No side is doing it perfectly right now. And let me tell you, that is a disgrace. That is a disgrace that we, as God's children, are letting our political views get in the way of God's gospel message being spread to the ends of the earth. That is a disgrace. And so we must be perfectly one with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what Jesus thought was important enough to pray about in the night before he was crucified at the conclusion of all this teaching. Really the last time that he had all 11 of his disciples together. He thought it was important enough to pray for their unity. And he thought it important enough to pray for our unity as well. And so we must be perfectly one with one another. We must be one just as God and his son Jesus Christ are one. So Jesus prays for us as fellow Christians to come together and have unity with one another and to be one just as God and Jesus are one. But I don't think it should stop there as well. I don't think that we should let politics uh, get in the way of our relationship between us and our friends and family and acquaintances who are not a part of the family of God, who are not fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. A quote from Andy Stanley reads, never, ever burn a relational bridge over a political view. Never, ever burn a relational bridge over a political view. And I would totally agree with this. Studies show that the single most effective mode of evangelism is relational evangelism. Basically, the, the, the concept that, that you develop a relationship with someone and you get close to them and, and you're building trust with them and you're, and you're building uh, credibility with them. And then after that moment, you share the gospel message with them. Studies show that is by far the most effective way of sharing the gospel message with other people. It's far more effective than any other method of evangelism. And so don't burn a relational bridge. Don't burn a relationship with a non-believer over a political view. If you do, you are hindering your possibility of spreading that gospel message to them. Because the gospel message is far and above more important than any political view we can have today. And so I don't know about you, but I don't want to sit in the boat uh, uh, of hindering the, the spread of the gospel message by burning down relationships with not only people within the church, you know, people that are much easier to get along with, but also people outside of the church as well, people who are not believers, people who do not follow our Heavenly Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I pray and, and I ask that you all, please, please, please do not burn a relational bridge with someone over a political view. You're ruining a chance to build a relationship with them, and you're ruining a chance to share the gospel message 
with them. And so our unity with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, it proves to the world that, that Jesus was sent from God, and it proves to the world that God loves us just like he loved Jesus. That's what our oneness as a body of believers proves. And our relationship with non-believers can help us spread the gospel message as well. So the gospel message is at stake here of, uh, uh, of whether or not we're going to come together as one, of whether or not we're going to burn our, our relationships with, with others over our political views. It is not worth it. It is not worth it. And so as, as we are right in the thick of this political mess I'd ask that you all focus on this word, unity. Unity. As this is what Jesus prayed for us the night before he was crucified. The night before when he could have prayed a number of different things. A number of different valuable things to pray to God with his 11 disciples. The last time that he had them together before his crucifixion. But Jesus chose to pray about unity. He chose to pray that we would be one. And so I'd encourage you guys all as well to pray for unity. Pray for unity within the church. Pray that we all, not only here at North Hills, but we, we, can, we can be in unity with, with uh, the other churches in the conference, the other churches in the nation, other churches throughout the world, other Jesus followers, other Jesus believers. Pray that we can all become one. Because the disciples, they did a, a good job of this to start off with. They did a good job with, after Jesus ascended to heaven. They, they came together as one force, as one voice, and it worked. It worked. Christianity, the, the, this new movement of Christianity spread like wildfire. And I think a large reason of that is because these people, the, these few Christian uh, leaders here at the beginning, they came as one. They weren't divided. If they were divided, I don't think the, the, the gospel message would have spread like wildfire like it did 2,000 years ago. And so I challenge you all to pray for unity amongst all believers. I challenge you all to show love to those who don't agree with you politically. Boy, is that hard to do with, with, with the election coming around and people having different viewpoints and, and different opinions with us. And so I challenge you all to find someone who doesn't agree with you politically. And find that person and express love to them. Express love to them whether they are in the church or whether they are out of the church. Find that person who doesn't agree with you politically and express love to each and every one of them. As first off, I, I think that we have the capability to be a lot more convincing and a lot more pers persuasive if we are loving and gentle to others. You know, we, we just talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the fruit of the spirit of gentleness. You're a lot more persuasive when you are gentle and loving towards others. So if you really want to get your point across to someone, I, I would encourage you to love them. Because you'll get your point across a lot further and a lot deeper than trying to come at them and attack them. That, that's just not very effective. But more importantly, the gospel is at stake. More importantly than, than advancing your, your political viewpoints, the gospel message is at stake here. And so it's extremely important that we come together as one. And it's extremely important that we do not burn relational bridges with those outside of church. And so this coming Tuesday 
or the, the days after or weeks or however long it takes to decide who the winner is. Your candidate is going to win or your candidate is going to lose. There, there's no other way to go around that. But Christians, we the church, we will win or lose based off how we respond. If our candidates win or lose, but we come together as one, then let me tell you, we the church, we have won. We have won because we can have such a loud voice and we can spread the gospel message to the world. We can let the world know that Jesus came from God and that God loves us just like Jesus. So whether or not your, your, your chosen candidate wins this Tuesday or the days after or the weeks after, you're going to win or lose. But we as Christians, we can win or lose based off how we respond. Are we going to respond with unity or are we going to fall to the pressures of the world and fit in with the rest of the society and live in a world full of division? The choice is ours. The decision is ours to make. And I hope and I pray that we all make the right decision as we are in the thick of this political mess. And if we do these two things, coming together as body as the body of Christ, and if we don't burn any relational bridges and show love towards those who are outside of the church, then we can help spread the gospel message to the ends of the earth. And when that gospel message is spread to the ends of the earth, Jesus promises us that he is coming back to this earth with his father's kingdom. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray uh, for this nation during uh, this messy, uh, divided time in our society. Father, I pray that, that none of us here this morning, I pray that we don't let our political viewpoints get in the way of, this, of your mission, uh, of your gospel message being spread to the ends of the earth. And so, Father, I, I pray that, that we can get over our differences. I pray that we, as fellow brothers and fellow sisters in Christ, I pray that we can come to get together as one, just as you, Father, are one with your Son. And, Father, I, I pray that you give the compassion and the courage to love the people outside of the church as well who do not agree politically with us. And I pray that our love and our relationship with them can spread the gospel message to them all. Father, we love you. Father, we pray for the advancement of your gospel message being spread to the ends of the earth. Father, we love you. Father, we long for the day when your son comes back to establish your kingdom here on earth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. As I was choosing a song. I pray that, that God's name will ever be on our lips and we don't let our political candidates, our political viewpoints get in the way of coming together as one and loving those outside of the church as well. And if we do that, we can help advance the gospel message being spread throughout the ends of the earth. And when that takes place, God's kingdom will come to this earth. What a glorious day that will be. Thank you. I hope you all have a great week and I hope to see you next week.